Testament. Why do the nations conspire and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers gather together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Let us break their chains, they say, and throw off their fetters. The one enthroned in heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. Then he rebukes them in his anger and terrifies them in his wrath, saying, I've installed my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will proclaim the decree of the Lord. He said to me, you are my son, today I have become your father. Ask of me and I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession. You'll rule them with an iron scepter. You'll dash them to pieces like pottery. Therefore, you kings, be wise. Be warned, you rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry with you and you be destroyed in your way. For his wrath can flare up in a moment. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. Thanks, Fred. It's striking if you don't very carefully prepare your words when you stand up here that you so easily get it slightly wrong. Uh, and that struck me when Nathan was saying, we'll read Psalm 2 in preparation for Fred's preaching. And somehow that doesn't sound right to me. If you understand what I mean. We read the Word of God and that's what it is all about. And I'll try to give some support to the Word of God and not the other way around. So that's, that's what went to my mind when we... Uh, when Nathan was saying that. Last week, Carl uh, made a beginning with preaching uh, the book of Psalms. He preached on Psalm 1, and that psalm never fails to challenge me and at the same time excite me. It teaches us how to be happy as human beings, how to experience God's presence and God's blessings in your life. And then we came to the conclusion, more or less, that no life is more blessed as the life of a Christian who permanently drinks from the living waters, like the tree, you know, had the roots in the water. And, and that speaks about the believer who is firmly grounded in, in the Lord Jesus Christ himself, who is the source of living water. So, blessed is the man or the woman who walks with the Lord. That's great stuff to hear. But then, not all Christians show the blessedness of this psalm all the time. Some even look pretty glum and rather radiate stress than joy and confidence. Now, how is that possible? It can be, of course, that they may think that they are Christians, but they have not really received Jesus Christ as their Lord and Saviour in their hearts. They still live a life of legalistic righteousness, which makes one very sombre indeed. There's nothing as depressing as trying to live up to God's standards while your heart has not been changed by Him. 
It's also possible, of course, that, that these people have been born again already, but that they are temporarily out of focus. For that is what humans so easily do. I do it, and you do it, I suppose. You, you uh, get out of focus, and you lose your joy. It happens to us all the time. By the way, that is the very reason that Christians have to come together every Sunday to hear the word of the Lord, to encourage one another. And in, in that process, to get refocused on what life is really all about. There's no, no doubt about this dynamic, that if you make a habit of missing out on church fellowship, your spiritual life becomes flat in no time. So we all need the encouragement that comes from Scripture and, and from one another. So that means that the overall tenor of the service should be, cheer up friends, we have a mighty Saviour. We are on our way to heaven. What a glorious perspective. Rejoice in the Lord always. Now every time I hear that and accept that in faith, my smile returns. And I realize once again that in the past week, I have been focusing more on my problems and worries and fears than on the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, that, is, that was Psalm 1. Yeah? It's about our joy in the Lord and in His Word. Now, Psalm, Psalm 2 is written with a purpose to give us the right perspective on what is going on in the world around us. So in, in this sense, this psalm is the, the second key psalm of the book. Psalm 1 focuses on the individual believer, how we have to live. But Psalm 2 helps us to develop a worldview. And the worldview of Psalm 2 is this. Jesus Christ, being the Son of God, sits on the throne and has the whole wide world in his hands. So if you're a child of God, Scripture tells you to keep an eye on Jesus and believe that not only he is in control, but that he has already achieved victory. He has conquered Satan, sin and death. And therefore those who are in him are more than conquerors. Doesn't that cheer you up? You have a fantastic future to look forward to. Now how can we be so sure about that that we begin to rejoice now already? There's only one answer to this question. It is because God has promised it. And his promises never fail. That, that's what's so beautiful about God's promises. You can safely gamble on them, if I may put it that way. See, if, if I make a, a promise, I'll do this or that, I may do it or not do it. Some people make, make easy promises, but ultimately that's not more than an intention, and they soon forget about it. Or you make a serious promise that you really want to do it, but for some reason you are unable to deliver on your promise. And therefore, if you are humble enough to acknowledge this, 
You will always echo your promises. The Lord willing, I'll do it. But friends, does the Lord himself ever have to add to his promises? The Lord willing? Of course not. If he wills something, he will make it happen. No matter what. God has a plan. And if you are in his plan of salvation, he will save you. No matter what. Do you know that expression that sometimes people are brought into the kingdom kicking and screaming? It, it means these people didn't seek to be converted. They didn't invite Jesus to come into their life. They didn't even pray a sinner's prayer. God just called them. You're one of mine. Like he, for instance, did with the uh, Apostle Paul. Paul on his way. The persecuted church, persecuted Christians. And God just called him and changed him. See, ultimately, God doesn't have to ask your consent to be saved. He can just save you. He first breaks your resistance against him. And then he turns your will around. And he draws you with irresistible grace and places you in the arms of Jesus, the Saviour. Remember Jesus saying, no one can come to me unless the Father draws him. So God draws people into his kingdom. Why? Because that's his plan of salvation. If God wills something, nothing and no one is going to stop him. He will just do it. And that's a very encouraging perspective to have and to keep. The Apostle Paul tells us that God has a plan already from eternity. Before the foundation of the world, God shows his own to the praise of his own glorious grace. Now for, now for us, that is way above our understanding. We cannot work that out. We have to accept that because the Bible says so. But there are a few things that we might understand. We just said, if God wills something, no one and nothing is going to stop him. He'll just do it. And that is why Psalm 2 can speak so confidently about God who has installed his son in Zion. Well, we know he's using here Old Testament terminology. But God's already speaking here about his son, Jesus Christ. See, at the moment that this psalm was written, it will take another thousand years before it all becomes reality. Before God has really installed his, his son on the throne. But to God that is no problem. I mean, God doesn't have to say here, well, I hope to install my king on Zion. The Lord willing. Just give me another thousand years, I'll be able to do it. God doesn't speak like that. He says, I have installed my king on Zion. You are my son. Today I have become your father. And again, there's no point asking what, what's meant with today. Some people do that. So today is that when, when Jesus was born as God's son? Or was it perhaps when, when David wrote his psalm? Is that today? Or was it when, when Jesus returned to heaven in the ascension, he's talking about ascension day. What is today? When is that? But the point is, to God, there's not something like, 
yesterday, today and tomorrow. For him, it is forever today. For he is eternal, not bound to time at all. So from his perspective, and that's the perspective we want to take here, there's nothing strange about speaking in King David's time, a thousand years before Jesus came to the world, about the Christ being the king sitting on the throne. So at the time that God revealed this, Jesus still had to be born and to suffer and to be taken into glory. But God can speak as if it has happened already. And that's because he is God. And, and that makes this psalm a very encouraging one indeed. God has made Jesus the king. He has given him all the nations of the world as an inheritance. So friends, it's important to realize that we are not worshipping a crucified saviour anymore. A suffering servant of the Lord. No, we serve a powerful king who has entered into his glory. And Jesus is sitting at the right hand of the Father in heaven. Believe it. Now what does it practically mean to us? What's Jesus doing up there in heaven? I can think of three things that the Bible speaks about what Jesus is doing now. In, in the first place, Jesus pleads there at God's right hand. He pleads there on your and my behalf. He, he presents the sacrifice that he made on Calvary. On Calvary's cross. And he presents that sacrifice to his father. He said, Father, this is my blood. Use it to cover Fred's sins with it. I've paid for him with my blood. And the father will say, Son, sure, it's my pleasure to do so. For that's what I promised to you. And then the father will rejoice. For in this way, he can be just. And at the same time, bless a sinner. And isn't that a fantastic ministry of Jesus? That God maintains his justice. And sins are punished indeed. But they are punished in Jesus. And uh, the benefit of that is just given to those who belong to Jesus. So here I am, weak and struggling with sins. And regularly, to my shame, even overcome by them. And then Jesus said, stand up. Try again. I'll take care of your failures. And I plead for you before my Father. Don't worry. He loves you no less. So that's the first thing. Christ pleads for us. Second thing, Jesus has an, um, what I would call an evangelistic ministry up there in heaven. Because from there he is making sure that the gospel goes out all over the world. He sends his spirit to work faith and repentance in people's hearts. So is there somewhere a nation that hasn't been reached, that has never heard about Jesus? Then Jesus will make sure to drop at his time the desire in someone's heart to go there and tell them. Isn't that how the gospel came to you? God sent someone to tell you and to teach you. Without Jesus directing his, the coming of his kingdom from heaven, without him being in control about the coming kingdom, none of you would have been saved. 
So from Pentecost up to today, Jesus is working to reach the very ends of the earth with the gospel of reconciliation. So that's the second thing. So Jesus, please, for us, there's one. Two was uh, Jesus makes sure that the kingdom is promoted in the world. Third thing, he is ruling from heaven. And not only the church, and not only the believers, but he is ruling the world. When he rules the church, he does that through his word and spirit. And he makes use of all kinds of, of people in doing that. But he is also ruling the world. So world history however confusing the picture can be sometimes, is definitely moving towards the point that God has purposed for it. He's even ruling his enemies, says Psalm 2. They don't know that, but they are. They cannot make one move without Christ allowing them. And Christ has it so much under control that ultimately everything works for the good of those who love and trust the Lord. Now having seen this disposition of Jesus Christ, now we, have a, um, we look back at, um, at verses 1 to 3. So we realize it is Christ who is in full control of everything that goes on in the world. And then the question of Psalm 2, why then? Do the nations conspire? Why do the nations rage against the Lord and his anointed one? That's what they do, don't they? Rage against the Lord and his anointed one. There's a, there's a common hatred in the world against God and his government. And, and this hatred is often directed at, at God's people. Why is that? What do they want? Well, verse 3 gives the answer. That's what they're saying. Let's break their chains and throw off their fetters. See, people who do not know God consider God's law or God's involvement with this world as chains, as fetters that hinder them in developing themselves, that hinder them in their precious freedom. That's what I think. See, that's, that's the difference between a Christian and a non-Christian once again. A Christian meditates on God's law day and night and he delights in it. But a non-Christian can't handle it. He hates God's law. He even denies the existence of God only to assure himself that he does not have to give account for his life to anyone. We live in a time where marriage as a God-given unity between one man and one woman is under severe attack. People are working hard to claim for every relationship of love the word marriage, whether it's homosexual, a polygamist, or polyamorist. Get rid of traditional institutions and opinions, and especially the Christian influences. They should not allow to be allowed to, to limit our freedom to do what we want. Get rid of all this bigotry. So you hear. Do you hear also Psalm 2? Let's throw off the chains of a God in heaven who wants to dictate to us what's right and wrong. 
is ultimately rebellion against God himself, isn't it? Now what is God's reaction from heaven towards such rebellion? Is he upset about it? Psalm 2 says, no, he laughs at it. He scoffs at it. Do you think that, the, that God on the throne in heaven would be impressed with puny little people who shake their fists to him and say, we are not going to listen to you. We can decide for ourselves what we consider right and wrong. The world is ours and we'll rule it the way we think is right. God laughs at them because they are so out of touch with reality. See, God has placed his son Jesus on the throne already. And if you do not want to bow for him now, be warned, one day you'll have no choice anymore. One day every knee shall bow, have to bow and confess that Jesus is Lord indeed. Remember the story of um, Pharaoh in Egypt. He was one of these guys. Raging, conspiring against God. He wanted to stop God from bringing his people into the promised land. And he didn't want to let him go. God saw it and he laughed about it. And with a sense of humor, God has. He put baby Moses right under his nose. And Pharaoh himself paid for the thorough education of the man who would later on lead God's people out of Egypt and would later on be used by God to present the first five books of the Bible to the world. If you're in the world known as a Christian, you will experience sometimes ridicule from people. They will laugh at you about your old-fashioned beliefs and that hurts, doesn't it? But be encouraged. God hears it too. And he is proud of you that you are not ashamed of being known as a Christian one day. God will throw their laughter back into their face. So what's the best advice for all those rebels then and now? It's this. You better change your mind, people, about God and his anointed one. Verse 10. Therefore, you kings, be wise. Be warned, you rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Well, that's a call for repentance. And we all need to hear that call for ourselves. Friends, when we are reading Psalms like Psalm 1 and Psalm 2, there's a danger that I want to make you aware of. You can easily fall into a trap of thinking, well, this is all about those outside. It's about them. We here in the church are okay. We are, we are the godly ones and the ungodly are out there. But that's not what these Psalms are saying. Unfortunately, the divide between the righteous and the, and the wicked also runs through the church. Wheat and tear grow up together. And therefore we always have to examine ourselves. It's not our membership of a church or our presence here in church on Sundays. It's not the contributions we make to church. 
It's not our friendliness. It's not our outward Christian lifestyle that will save us. There's only one way. We need to be born again into God's kingdom by humble repentance and true faith. Psalm 2 puts it this way. Kiss the son, lest he be angry. Now a kiss is a sign of peace and acceptance and reconciliation. That's how we, how we often make up with each other when, when something has come in between. But a kiss, we seal our reconciliation. We said sorry, we're forgiven, and now we seal that. So kiss the Son, and that means embrace Jesus as the one who brings reconciliation. He's your only saviour, and you'll be reconciled with God. So, if your reason for looking glum is that you have not found Jesus Christ yet, continue your search for him and ask people to help you in that search and pray for you. Trust the Lord's own promise that those who come to him, that he will never drive them away. If you are a Christian and still look glum, get your focus right again, friend. Don't allow your problems to bring you down. But focus on the Son of God who is on the throne. Because he only allows those problems in your life to make you grow in him. So, cheer up, friends. You have not only an all-powerful God, but in him you have a loving Father as well. And Psalm 2 finishes with, Blessed are all who take refuge in him. Blessedness. That was the, that was the theme of Psalm 1. Blessed, blessed is the man who meditates on God's law day and night. But here we find that the real blessing is not meditating on a book only. The real blessing is a person. And that person is Jesus, the Son of God. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you and we praise you for the gospel of salvation, for the message of reconciliation, the reconciliation you have achieved by placing us in Jesus Christ. And you have made us ministers of that message. Lord, help us to experience the blessing of having taken our refuge in Christ, in the Son of God. And give that message may encourage us time and again when we are struggling with life and the issues of life, when we are discouraged, when we don't see a way forward, when we are ridiculed by people around us, when we are not taken seriously because we believe in the authority 
of your word. Lord, we pray that in all those circumstances we do not lose focus, but that we can focus on Jesus Christ and rejoice again and again. Lord, thank you that we can read your word, that you speak to us through your word, and Lord, we pray that that word will land in our hearts and that it will find a place there where it will grow. Lord, grant us your Holy Spirit because without the Spirit, your word remains remote and even dead. But you make it alive by touching us so that we can receive, so that we come alive in Christ. And Lord, we pray that also the preaching of the word and the fellowship of the people around us will all contribute to us getting to know Christ and growing in him. It's in his name we pray. Amen.